before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put in it to his heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had already given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that he wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. So I am. If then your Lord, teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash each other's feet. For I have given you an example that you should, tr- you should also do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We have been going through the book of John this semester, and we've been basically looking at two questions. Who is Jesus, and how can we find life in his name? Pretty much every week as we look at our passages, those things are coming out. And so we're going to do that again tonight. Uh, But before we do, let's pray together. Father, we come from lots of places tonight. Some hurting and grieving. Some discouraged. Some stressed, full of anxiety. Some deeply disappointed and things that haven't gone their way or opportunities that have passed them by. Others of us, uh, things couldn't be better. We're excited and we're happy and uh, we're loving life. Father, no matter where we are tonight, we all need the same thing. Uh, Whether we're doing well or struggling, uh, there has never been a day that we don't need you. And so, would you convince us of that, even now, uh, as we pray? uh, Help us to sense our need for you uh, every minute of every day. And so, would you come through your spirit and, Lord, give us encouragement and challenge and hope and conviction, and all of those things uh, that you do with your word. Um, So would you do those things tonight? We'd be very thankful, and we ask you to point us to Jesus, help us to find life in his name above anything else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. you have your Bible, or you're not already to John chapter 13, turn with me there, or look on with a friend. Or look on your announcement sheet. If you have that, the text is printed for you. Uh, Let me remind you of where we are in the Gospel of John. Uh, For the first half of the book, the first 13 chapters, Jesus has come to his own people and he's arrived at their feast and he has announced that he is the Christ. 
that he is the one that they've been waiting on, that he is the one uh, that they should be expecting. And instead of receiving him, they reject him. And that's really a summary of the first 13 chapters of the book of John. But all of that leads up to John chapter 13, the passage that we're going to look at tonight that was read earlier. And tonight, for the very first time, Jesus is with people that do love him, that have received him. Jesus is alone in an upper room with his friends. And you need to know that these are some of the most emotional moments in the life of Jesus, this passage that we're going to look at tonight. Because Jesus is going to talk to his friends, the people that he loves and the people that love him, about the crisis and the confusion of the coming days. Because the coming days are going to bring to Jesus crucifixion and death. And so Jesus is all alone with his disciples and he is explaining to them what is about to happen to him. And think about it with me. Think about the fact that the writer John is in the room this night when all this is going down. And it's very evident if you really follow along with the passage in the detail that John provided of this event. And John not only wants us to read it or to hear it, but John slows down the narrative and talks about the details of the story because he actually wants us to feel it tonight. And so my hope is that all of us tonight, as we read this passage, would actually feel the emotion in this passage. This was a very, very sweet time for Jesus and his friends. And my prayer is that it would be a very sweet time for us tonight in this room. Tonight in John chapter 13, we're going to see that the same Jesus that raised his friend Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11 that we looked at last week, the one that demonstrated great power in glory, is also the very same Jesus that gets down on his knees and washes the filthy feet of his friends. John chapter 13 teaches us three things, if you have your outline. It teaches us to value menial tasks. Secondly, it teaches us to love the people that are right in front of us. And thirdly, we'll see that it teaches us to receive his service. Let's look at number one, value menial task. Look at verses one through five. It's Passover, and the passion is to come in a few days, and Jesus, as I said, is gathered in this room with the people that he loves, and they are ready to share a meal together. But there's one problem, is there is no servant there to wash their feet. You see, in Christ's day, it was an ancient custom to wash feet. Foot washing was an absolute necessity before any meal. Why? Well, because they wore chacos before chacos were cool. 
Uh, they wore open-toed sandals. And there was no modern-day sewage back then. And so it wasn't like they were just walking down a long, dusty road, getting a little dust on their feet and on their sandals. No, they're walking down roads that are filled, remember, no modern-day sewage. So roads that are filled with manure. Roads that are filled with urine and garbage and trash and any other nasty thing that you can think of. And so it was an absolute necessity for them to wash feet because remember, they reclined when they ate on one arm with their feet dangling out beside them and no one wanted nasty, stinky, dirty feet in their face or in and around the food. And so it always fell on the lowliest servant in the household to wash the feet of the people that were eating that night. And so they walk into the room and there's no servant there. And so guess who starts to do it? Jesus grabs the basin and the towel and starts to do it. And at the moment of great crisis, Jesus takes on the form of the lowliest servant in the house. And willingly loves his friends to the end. And here's what I want us to see and think about with me. It's kind of a side note, but it's worth considering. In his moment of crisis, and what do I mean by that? He's getting ready to die, and he knows that. And I don't know about you, but when I'm getting ready to die, I'm not thinking about serving other people. I'm thinking about myself, most likely. And I'm thinking about all that I need to do to get my house in order or the last conversations I need to have, or whatever it might be. But Jesus, in the moment of greatest, greatest crisis, his circumstances are horrible, and yet he serves. And not only does he serve, he does so by performing a very menial task, the task of washing feet. Dr. Nelson Bell is Billy Graham's father-in-law. And Dr. Bell and his wife were medical missionaries for many, many years. And as they got older, Dr. Bell's wife got very ill and sick. And so the things that she normally were, was able to do quite easily, she wasn't able to do anymore without help. Things like going to the bathroom, things like taking a bath or shower, or things like putting on her clothes were very, very hard for her to do. And so this one particular day, Ruth Bell, who's Billy Graham's wife, okay, uh, walks into her parents' room, and she's immediately embarrassed by what she sees. She sees her father down on the floor helping her mother put on pantyhose. And she's just totally embarrassed by it and goes, Dad, Dad, listen, I got this. I can do this. Don't worry about this. You don't need to worry about this. I, I can do it. And you know how her father responded? She says, the much younger Ruth says, her dad immediately said, Stop it. Leave the room immediately. Because it is the greatest privilege in my life to serve your mother. And I will not let anyone else do it. You see, Dr. Bell loved his wife so much that he wouldn't let anyone else serve her, no matter how small 
how menial or how demeaning the task was. That's John chapter 13. Jesus loved his disciples so much that the greatest privilege of his life was to get down on his knees and to serve them, even if it meant by taking the lowliest position and serving his friends. It was menial. It was lowly. But Jesus refused to let anyone else do it. And so what do we learn from that? Well, I think it teaches us something really important. And it's this. Jesus dignifies and elevates the menial task in our lives. Jesus elevates and dignifies the menial task in our lives. And we need to hear that tonight, don't we? Because oftentimes when we think about tasks, because we want to be kings... We want to be rock stars, and because we want to be rock stars, and I want to be a rock star, you know what I want to do? I want to do the things in my life that's going to draw the most attention to myself. And so we, when we think of serving, we think, how can I serve in those really big, significant ways so that I am going to get noticed and so that I can put it on my resume? And then Jesus comes and he says... No, I'm going to elevate the small stuff. The stuff in your life that is menial, I'm going to place great value on and great dignity on the things that no one will ever notice. Those are the things that I'm going to raise and elevate. I'm going to raise and elevate and put value on menial things. Things like listening to your friend instead of bombarding them with truth. Things like giving piggyback rides to kids at kids club all day. Or things like going to Graceland Retirement Home and playing bingo with senior citizens. Or things like being genuinely excited for your friend who's had something really good and exciting happen in their life. Or things like forgiving that person who has hurt you. Or refusing to hold a grudge against your parents. Jesus says, I'm going to come and elevate and give those things great dignity, those things that no one might ever see or know. Jesus says, I'm going to put dignity in value on cleaning up the throw-up on your hall that's there because someone was completely passed out. I'm going to place dignity on helping your friend that's passed out in the hall actually get to her bed safely. It's those things that have dignity and honor because Jesus puts great value in the menial things in life. That's the first thing this passage shows us. John 13, value the menial task. Number two, we see that it also shows us that we should love the person right in front of us. 
Look at verses 13 through 17. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, now you should go and wash one another's feet. And I don't know about you, but that to me is the most challenging and terrifying section in the entire passage. And here's why it's challenging and terrifying, because Jesus says that clearly that people will know whether or not you belong to me, not if you can pass a theology test, or not if you're the Bible answer man in your small group, or not if you stay away from those certain sins, or not if you have perfect attendance on Wednesday night at RUF. No, Jesus says the way people will know whether or not you belong to me is how you love and serve the people around you. A couple of observations from this passage that I think cut me to the heart, but also are very, very easy to overlook and miss. Let me look, no, point out a couple of the observations. First of all, notice Jesus doesn't call us to serve only those that are easy to serve. He doesn't call us to just go to the people that are really easy for us to love. Look at the passage. No, he calls you to actually go to the people that don't deserve it. How do we see that? Well, think about it. Think about who was in the room that night. Judas. He washed Judas' feet. And he knows, and it's clear in the passage, that Judas is getting ready to walk out of that room and to sell him out for pennies. Who else is in the room? Well, next we get to Peter. You remember Peter? He denied that he even knew Jesus. Not once, not twice. But three times, he said, I don't even know the guy. And then you think, well, maybe the rest of the disciples, they're okay. Surely they deserved it and they're off the hook. No, remember the disciples, they headed for the hills and ran for cover when Jesus needed them the most. And yet, look at what Jesus does. Not one of them deserve to be loved. Not one of them deserve to be served and have their feet washed by Jesus, but Jesus, because he's full of grace and because he's full of mercy, gets down on his knees on this night and he washes the feet of every single one of them and he loves them to the end. And make a side note here. Notice Judas shows that he has no belief at all. And notice what Jesus doesn't do. Some of you have heard me talk about this, but it's worth noting. Notice Jesus doesn't beat him over the truth, over the head with truth, and try to beat it into him saying, you've got to believe, you've got to believe. Yes, there's a place for evangelism. I'm not saying that. But Jesus just simply gets down on his knees and loves him and serves him. Secondly, notice Jesus doesn't hang out with his disciples and eat a meal and then say, all right, guys, 
I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to travel halfway around the known world and I'm going to love and serve the people there. No, Jesus loved and served the people that were sitting right across the table from him. He loved and served the people that were right in front of him. And so what are some applications to this? What does this actually mean for our lives right here tonight? It means this, that you should identify the one person around you that has maxed out their compassion quota in your life. And you should go love and serve them. It means that you should go love and serve the guy in your fraternity that doesn't deserve it who's actually been nothing but a jerk to you. Why would you do such a thing? Well, you should do it because Jesus loved and served you when you didn't deserve it. It means that you should identify the person in your life who you see as beneath you and you should go lower. It means that you should ridiculously give yourself away in all of your relationships that you're in. It means that you should love and serve people rather than use them in order to advance yourself socially on this campus. And it means that being radical doesn't always involve getting on a plane in traveling thousands of miles halfway around the world and loving and serving people. Now let me explain. Friends, that's wonderful. And we need to do those things, and you should do those things. But you know what Jesus says in John chapter 13? John chapter 13, Jesus comes and says, you want to be radical? Start with loving your roommate. Start with loving your mom. Start with loving your friends. Or better yet, start with loving the person sitting right next to you in this room tonight. That's radical. There was a Russian novelist by the name of Vladimir Novikov. And, yeah, you love that southern way of saying that. Uh, but he was, a consummate, he was a consummate butterfly collector. And he had one of the greatest butterfly collections in the entire world. And on this one particular day, he set out to find this very rare butterfly that he had never seen before. And he was chasing this butterfly, and down the hill beside him, he heard this horrible groaning as he was pursuing the butterfly. He gets back home to his house, and he's telling his good friend, James Lofton, about what had happened. And Lofton says, well, did you go down to help and see how you could be of help in the situation? And Novikov said, of course not. I was chasing the butterfly. And I tell you that story to ask you this question. What are the butterflies in your life tonight? What are the things in your life that you're so intent on 
that it's actually keeping you from seeing the needs of the people right in front of you. That's actually keeping you from loving and serving the person right across the table from you. That's the second thing. John 13, value menial task. And we see that it teaches us to love the person right in front of us. And thirdly and finally, it teaches us to receive his service. Look at verses 6 through 11. And so here's the scene. If you were in the upper room that night, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And you can see him on his hands and knees scooting from one person to the next. And he finally comes to Peter. And you can see Peter reaching out his hand and saying, Stop! You will not wash my feet. And notice in the dialogue, what does Jesus say? Well, he says, You don't realize, Peter, what I'm doing, but later you will. Later you will understand. And so Jesus starts in again, and you can just see Peter kind of curling up his legs and saying, Never! You will never wash my feet. And then look at what Jesus says, and it might be the most important verse in the text. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you can have no part of me. What does that mean? Why did Jesus say that? Here's why Jesus said it. Because the foot washing, this is it, we can't miss this, okay? Because the foot washing pointed to the foot of the cross. Look at verse 7 and it'll start to make sense. Later, Peter, later you will understand. It's not making sense now, but in a few days it will all come together and make sense and it will click. In that room that night, they saw their Savior and their Master laying aside his clothes and serving selflessly. You know something very interesting in John chapter 10, we studied a couple of weeks ago, the good shepherd. And remember, the good shepherd is the one who laid aside his life for the sheep. You know what? That is the very same word there that John uses here when he talks about laying aside his outer, outer garments. Because here in John chapter 13, we see that the good shepherd is down on his knees, bending lower than he's ever been before. And he's in a loincloth, washing feet. And in a few days, he will again be seen in a loincloth, even lower than he is in this moment as he's hanging on a cross. And on that cross, he will not be presenting a bowl of water like he is on this night, but he will be presenting his own blood. And on that night, he will not be presenting himself at the Passover dinner, but he will be offering himself up as the Passover lamb. And so what we see here is that this very selfless service by Jesus, that letting him serve us in this way is actually the very thing that unites us to him. 
Because the reality is, it was never about the foot washing. It was always about the reality that the real cleansing did not come from the foot washing, but the real cleansing came to that which the foot washing pointed. And that was the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And so the key to the passage is this, is that it is impossible for you tonight to find life in Jesus if you reject his service. And that's why he tells Peter what he says. He tells Peter, if you don't humble yourself, if you don't recognize that you need to be cleansed and that your sin problem is so great that you need someone to rescue you if you don't understand and acknowledge that and let me clean you and wash you, then you can have no part of me. And so what does that mean for us? Well, it means that Jesus comes and says, unless you realize that you're the one with the stinky feet and that your stinky feet actually point to your heart that desperately needs a Savior, unless you acknowledge that, then you can have no part of me. That's what Jesus is saying. And listen, some of you really need to hear that. And what I mean is that some of you cannot shake the guilt and the shame in your life. You can't shake it. And the reason why you can't shake it is because you will not let Jesus wash you. You will not let him cleanse you. Why? Because like Peter, you protest and you say, stop. You say, Jesus, I got this. I can do it. And so in order to rid yourself of the guilt and shame and to try to wipe it away, you just try to wipe it away with busyness so that you can maybe even forget about it or ignore it. Or maybe you try to wipe it away with, I'm going to change. I'm going to live differently now. And so you're basically doing nothing more than self-help. Or you say, I'm going to wipe it away because I'm going to read my Bible more. Or I'm going to go to more Bible studies. Or I'm going to go to more campus meetings. And John 13 comes and says, stop. That's what Jesus is saying. Stop. Peter, please stop. And receive grace. Isn't that beautiful? It's that you don't have to clean yourself up. That all Jesus is requiring is that you acknowledge that you bring nothing to the table in your relationship with him but your sin. And as you acknowledge that, you run to Jesus and you say, Jesus, wash me. Cleanse me. Make me whole. And so the passage really leaves you with two options. One you can refuse Jesus, stay locked in your pride, and continue to try to be good enough and to clean yourself up. Or you can come and you can lay down your pride and you can let Jesus wash you. And the question is, which one are you going to choose? Well, my prayer for all of us 
is that we would, no matter where you are tonight, whether you're not a Christian and you're going to Jesus maybe for the first time and saying, Jesus, please cleanse me and wash me and forgive me, or whether you've been a Christian your whole life, no matter where you are tonight, my prayer is that we would all go to Jesus and say, Jesus, wash me, change me, make me whole.